You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I'm Jesper, and this is episode 122 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. And uh, Autumn is taking a break today, and instead I have a great guest for you. So I'm going to talk to Alex Newton from K-Lytics today, and uh, welcome to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast, Alex. Hello, and uh, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a pleasure. I, I think I've heard you talk on so many podcasts now that your voice almost feels familiar to me. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize it would be that many, but, you know, yeah, the occasional conference or webinar um, does yeah, yeah, happen. Indeed. Does happen. Yeah, yeah. And also the nice videos you send out with Kalytics, the summarization videos. Uh, I've listened to you there many times as well. It's, that's the funny part, right? It, it, it's like the listeners who listens to podcasts. They're also used to my and Autumn's voice. <laughs> so right. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, but, I, can, uh, I can imagine because, as you say, w- what I do usually comes with video and voiceover to explain the things because numbers can be a very dry matter. So I, I'll try to make it palatable. And the best way I found was with the videos and with the voice uh, accompanying the, the graphs and the dry stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that works really well. We'll get into Kalytics just in a minute, but maybe just before we get that far, um, maybe you could share a bit up about yourself uh, i believe you are on my side of the atlantic for chains yeah. <laughs> i normally always record with somebody in the u.s but uh, what you're in switzerland is that right i'm i'm based in switzerland now I'm, i'm a native german you know i grew up in germany i um, had my professional life there as a management consultant although there i basically worked all over the globe and And some 10 years ago, when my little daughter was born and, you know, I had the typical corporate executive type of life, 24 hours, seven days a week, connectivity and living out of the suitcase, I thought, hey, you know, something should change. And and that was right in that, what was it called? Like the Kindle gold rush, you could almost say. So it was almost by coincidence, I got into, hey, what's Amazon doing? And And um, yeah, then six years ago, I officially launched Kalytics, which, by the way, is simply Kindle and Analytics, but I didn't want to get into a trademark dispute on day one. So I dropped the Indle from the Kindle. <laughs> and here we are with Kalytics. So right now, I've, we've moved to Switzerland some one and a half years back and uh, never looked back. So right now, I'm I'm very much running Kalytics amongst a couple of other things and And uh, enjoy my time here in this very nice little country that uh, stands as a stronghold in so many aspects here right in the middle of Europe. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So you lived in Germany before then? Yes, yes. I I grew up in the southwest of Germany and uh, lived in Munich for many years and then near the Stuttgart area. So in the southern area of Germany. Ah, okay, yeah. I like watching the Bayern Munich games on television. <laughs> Except last night, right? So <laughs> congratulations to Paris. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. 
Um, but uh, yeah, you, you did touch a b- bit on it slightly there, but maybe you can explain, uh, you know, a bit more to those who has n- who have no idea what Kalytics is. Um, maybe you can put a bit more, let's say, the the, the baseline information into what what is it. In in very simple terms, we try to provide market research information to authors and publisher publishers to help them make better publishing decisions. Now, th- that sounds very abstract, but if you're an author, if, if you are, say, in the fantasy world and you decide about your next book project or you're writing already a, you know, you're right in the middle of a book project and, and if you feel a little bit, hmm, there's a market out there, perhaps, you know, readers and potential buyers. So if you're not just writing for therapeutic reasons or you have nothing else to do, but because you also want to make a living with your writing, you will f- have to face up to the fact that you run a business, right? And any business that gets into a new product or service usually would do some kind of market research. And if it's only like talking to a couple of existing customers or in your case, existing readers, hey, what do you like? Did this resonate with you? Now, we do this on a grander scale by basically looking at uh, hundreds of thousands of books and their sales ranks on Amazon. And by aggregating the data from those books over time or by certain genres or by certain categories, we can basically... Um, deduct what is trending, what is going up, what is going down, what is selling, what is selling, but what is already crowded, what is selling and perhaps not overly crowded. Um, So we very much come into the game when people make decisions about their publishing projects. And later on, as you know, things become very tactical. In, in what categories can I place my book? What should be the pricing? If I do epic fantasy, you know, what are all the other epic fantasy books being priced at? Am I too high? Am I too low? And it can get very, say, nitty-gritty and tactical and on the other side. But in essence, it is looking at what's out there in terms of data, aggregating it in an intelligible way, and then packaging it so that not every author is a mathematician obviously so that you get can make very simple conclusions <laughs> with your with a writing direction you you take yeah and i, I personally really like uh, kalytics and and the reports uh, but i am curious you know wh- why did you start kalytics in the first place uh, because i i in the kindle gold rush back then there was nothing like this so was it just like you thought that, well, this is missing, so I'll try to do it? Or, or what, what was the driver behind you creating Kalytics in the first place? It it was almost like half an accident that I ended up in the publishing world. Now, I did start my career in publishing, like, you know, literally 30 years back in a, in a London-based publishing company. And so there was some affinity with the publishing world. But at, at the point... 10 years ago, when I started the first experiments, as you say, it was the Kindle Gold Rush. And it was at that time when I looked at something, hey, I want to work from home. So right now I'm clicking on all those PayPal buy buttons. Is there any way that others could click on mine? That was the out, the 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 onset. So I was looking into various markets, you know, fitness market, uh, online consulting market, information products, you name it. And uh, almost by coincidence, I came came across one of those 
famous or I think by now more infamous, you know, get rich with Kindle type of courses for the $19, uh-huh. you know, these types of things. And and at first I was, you know, I was more thinking about publishing rather than writing, but having been a corporate management consultant for 25 years and having been in boardrooms 25 years, you very you become very conservative meaning you know i don't believe that so so you you really mm-hmm. l- try to look at the facts and base decisions on facts so i started looking at amazon sales ranks i started to talk to people hey if this whatever paleo recipe book that everybody says is like the thing you know if that has a sales rank of 50,000 on Amazon, does it actually selling anything? And I found out, no, it's not selling anything. Although everybody is saying, you know, you can get rich by, by uploading your grand, grandmother's, not even paleo recipe book, paleo breakfast recipe book. And at that point in time, I actually coined a term, which I call to the present day, the paleo breakfast recipes syndrome, meaning, you know, people try to convince you, you can make money with some obscure nonfiction book upload to Kindle, which obviously is a total lie. But to the present day, people are being sold courses, you know, to, to get into self publishing and make a living by uploading your knitting patterns and that sort of thing, which is obviously complete nonsense. Mm. And um, so at that point in time, I started doing some almost like data experiments uh, with Amazon. And I figured out, hey, um, that works. And then I was in the one or other Facebook group and started sharing. I remember my first Kalytics report was very plainly about the top 30 main Kindle categories. So essentially was looking at is is romance selling more than sci-fi and fantasy and sci-fi and fantasy selling more than engineering and transportation books. So, you know, like super crude level. And people tore it out mm-hmm. of my hands and then ask, hey, can you do this? Can you do this for subcategories? And then people start diving into sub-subcategories and and the rest is history. I think ever since 2015, we've been tracking more than 7,000 Kindle genres month in, month out, looking at hundreds of thousands of books. Wow. Yeah, it's impressive. I mean, you must have quite some machine power to data scrape all that information. Well, you know, it's not like a super large scale operation because, first of all, you know, you don't want to. Um, uh, I think there can things to be said about, you know, to what extent can and should you do automated visits on other websites? I know, I mean, in many industries, you have it. You know, take hotel price engines and all that thing. But you know, it's very, very small scale. So Amazon wouldn't even notice. So, and and also coming more from a data science point of view you know there is no value in just collecting data the value comes with intelligent analysis and also intelligent sampling right we look at books like seven days a month like not every hour because also you know that would take bandwidth that also amazon wouldn't be happy with so we act more like a you know not like the occasional visitor you know but it's uh, it's it's a very fine line between what is what is ethical and what, what isn't right and so we chose to do a very you know hands off type of data operation that samples books rather than uh as you term it scrape you know the the amazon site every hour you know which <laughs> is not 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 the type of business i want to get into 
No, that's fair. That's fair enough. And uh, it's always good to be a bit ethical about what you do. Although I, I think with Amazon, they have a scale that they know everybody. A lot of people are scraping their data, and I don't really think that they care, to be honest. But uh, but it, it's always good to have some ethical considerations. Absolutely, and uh, and 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 in the end of the day, you know, we we're there with that humble data collection to basically help help their clients, you know, that, that feed their whole yeah, publishing sure. en- engine. So, um, uh, and, uh, and so far, you know, six years, they've, they've never complained. I've never complained and, and, uh, and people, ha- <laughs> people have been happy. So I hope it stays that way. Yeah, that's perfect. So when it comes to the fantasy genre, that's sort of what we're all about here. It's also in the name of the podcast. So <laughs> I guess Absolutely, it's, it's yeah. quite obvious. <laughs> but uh, considering the fantasy genre, um, I was hoping maybe you could share a bit about uh, your you know, latest uh, data and your latest trends or sort of what you see when it comes to the fantasy genre, what is trending and so on. I mean, f- first of all, the good news is that you know, out of the, those big genres on on Kindle, I mean, you have romance is always number one, followed by mystery, thriller, suspense. Then you have a bit of nonfiction, but usually sci-fi and fantasy. And I apologize if I if I some make a sum with science fiction. I know many fantasy authors will say, "How can how can Amazon? How does Amazon dare put us in one bucket at the very top level already?" Which I know is not the case. But you know, sci-fi and fantasy as as one umbrella category is, is usually the third largest, and especially during the last twelve months of this crazy pandemic time, we've seen quite some changes and changes in reader behavior. And the good news there is that overall, people have been looking for more. We see categories that have to do with humor have been trending up. Uh, We see very dark reads, you know, post-apocalyptic stuff is going down. But the the good news is anything that provided, say, a, a, a good escapism for readers during these dire times has, in essence, benefited. And therefore, for example... In fantasy overall, we we saw a bit of a dip, obviously, about a year ago during the first lockdown periods, like because there people have been buying nonfiction books about how to bake bread and that took market share from some fiction. But you know, very but very briefly, after a brief period, we saw the the overall book market obviously benefiting greatly from these dire times with uh, print book sales in the US having grown shown the highest growth rates in a decade with 8% growth amazon grew 25% in in the kindle select global fund so the royalties paid to authors so i mean 25% that's huge and one of the beneficiary genres was fantasy overall um as one example if you take epic fantasy as an example which is probably like the genre epitomizing a bit fantasy as a uh, i wouldn't say cliche but as an overarching theme you know what what makes fantasy the um, epic side of thing is obviously clearly positioned to provide an escapism and that category on amazon had been like it it sort of had a peak performance back in 2017 18 around that time and with all its fluctuations you know it it has then had a bit of a downward trend all the way into the start of 2020 and then after that brief dip during the first lockdown it it really shot up back again and you see that these types of 
fantasy markets clearly benefited and uh, we can we can go in in into more if you want but on, on a high level you see that um fantasy epic fantasy a very big market but also very high selling so there you could say it's it's a very grown uh, very established mainstream market on in the Kindle world, and then obviously you have these hundreds of well, not hundreds, but you know, uh, ten, twenty like big subgenres, you know, from soul to sorcery, action and adventure, game adaptations, and they tend to do pretty well on the Kindle platform. So especially over the last year, all the teen, young, adult-driven type of fantasy, we saw a lot of trends happening there. And if you want, we can, you know, I can dig into the data here as we speak and and uh, look into some of those. Yeah, for sure. I think that would be very interesting uh, because a part of it is, and that's what I like with the Kalytics reports, is also to to try to see because... At least, I mean, for, for myself and, and Autumn, the stuff we write, we, we're sort of settled in, in the epic fantasy world. So uh, I think the competition is probably pretty fierce there, uh, to be honest. Uh, but maybe you can contradict me. But but I, I'm more thinking for, especially if you're sort of starting out and, and you, let's say you decided that I like to write fantasy, but I actually like very many different types of fantasy then it could definitely also make sense to look into the Kalytic reports and, and try to see, okay, is there some of these subgenres where there is just less competition and it makes it a bit easier to to get more sales, right? I mean, in that way, I think Kalytics is very useful, uh, apart from what you mentioned earlier as well, that even if you are established in something, you can use it to figure out what is the good price range for books, what is the average pricing and, and so on. So you position your products so to speak or your books correctly but uh but yeah please uh share more details right i mean as you mentioned it epic epic fantasy i think is a, a good example of as you say there are established mainstream markets and just entering in there you know as a newcomer could be a bit of an uphill battle i mean if you if you look at the epic fantasy data we we did a study uh start of this year that is one of the examples of a, well, in my corporate world, we would say a very concentrated market, right? Where a few mm-hmm. determine determine the bulk of the sales, you know, with obviously at the very top, the, the Brandon Sanderson, you know, crushing it uh, with, with all his, his books and obviously the classics, the Tolkien's and the Robert Georgians, the uh, obviously George R. Martin, all the, f- the fan fiction, the, the, the spin-offs, the, jo- um, the Abercrombies of the world. And, and then already, even with some of the, you know, big, big names, whatever, what was it like Robin Hobb and, you know, there, there's a, mm. a whole number of names where immediately you see the books of their sales rank, you know, yeah. You know, it, it's a tough market. Now, the good news for Epic Fantasy, well, good or bad news depends uh, the, on the eye of the beholder, is there while you have like publishing companies that really dominate like Tor Books, right, that that sign on like everybody um, or Orbit or D, DAW, there, there's a couple of big outfits out there, but then you do have an increasing share of indie publishers, the the typical, you know, author that wants to make use of the self-publishing 
self-publishing world and all the opportunities that that come with it. And there we do see a bit of like a balance between uh, traditionally published or these specialized epic fantasy publishing houses and a couple of, you know, really good self-publishers that that found their way in into the game. Now, but if you don't want to get head on with the Brandon Sanderson's and Tolkien's of the world, right? You will pose exactly the question. <laughs> you will pose exactly the question you pose. You know, are there opportunities out there um, in the overall fantasy world where it's perhaps a bit less competitive, less crowded, less established also? And and I would clearly say yes, you know, I mean, especially if you if you'd be able to also address some of the uh, teen young adult readership, which is not necessarily teen young adult people, because obviously there's research that suggests that the bulk of the teen young adult fantasy books are actually not read necessarily by by teens or young adults, but also adults. So there you have opportunities, you know, I mean, take the huge market, take the huge market of urban fantasy. It's, by now, it's also no longer a niche market, but that created a whole uh, publishing, self-publishing sub-empire where it's really then about, well, what type of urban fantasy do I do? Is it, you know, the, the, the leather-clad chick that's running around with swords slaying vampires at night and working at Starbucks by day? Or uh, am I going more into the uh, Jim Butcher type of world? And there the data can, can give you hints. So, for example... We saw a what was it like a almost like a five year decline after the big Hunger Games hype was over, right? And with the pandemic, we saw with many of the teens being uh, sitting there at home and after the homeschooling having to do something. There's perhaps only so much Netflix you can watch, or only so many mobile devices available that they had to read books again. I don't know. But we saw a huge increase again in, in some teen young adult, adult fantasy segments. For example, these um, a bit dystopian type of royalty novels, Kira Kass, I think it was primarily a driver. Obviously, there was also the Hunger Games sequel, but th those were predominantly self-published authors who really took the whole segment segment up again and if i just look at the the, the data of a, over a year you know paranormal fantasy has has uh, has found a bit of a uh, a return uh, also after years of having done well but paranormal for example the whole paranormal romance paranormal fantasy that has peaked say 2000 13, 14, ever since then. These waves are, by the way, very long-term. When I talk about writing to market or looking at these uh, this data, this is not about monthly fluctuations. That's about catching the wave that carries you and your projects over, obviously, a period of years rather than rather than months. So by and large, you know, teen young adult, whether it's um, uh, fantasy, fairy tales, especially in the teen young adult world, if you are a bit flexible to also put a touch of romance into it, it's selling extremely well, you know, fey romance, paranormal romance, vampire romance. Now, for many fantasy writers, they will go like, oh, you know, that's like, that's like romance. And I say, okay, <laughs> okay, yes, I read you. 
But for that reader who's looking for an escape, those vampires and th- that stuff, you know, or the whole thing happening in a complete fantasy world, and there, there's world building going into it, perhaps not as elaborate with maps and stuff as you have in a Tolkien type of trilogy, 750 pages, I, God knows what. Um, but to those who are in those jars, they make a good living with it, partly, and and they're they're not obsessed with academic definition of what constitutes fantasy and what doesn't, but basically looking at what do readers want, and then almost from a menu. Okay, um, best example I'd say currently is, um, I mean, we're about I don't know what your age is. Yeah, yes, well, we're sort of the same generation, so we know movies like. The, the Witches of Eastwick, right? Witches of Eastwick, or, or then later in the in the late 90s, um, there was that other one with, uh, with um, I think Nicole Kidman, right? So you have witches, you have housewives who in their spare time are witches. Now, right now, we have a book market getting going where some authors who've been big-name authors in genres such as women's fiction, paranormal romance, urban fantasy, all these genres are getting very crowded and cozy mystery. Now they came together, they banded together and created something which is called paranormal women's fiction. They even gave it its own hashtag PWF. And if you look at it, it is fantasy, you know, it is about witches, about, you know, that shadow world, it's it's bringing cozy mystery, and especially what has been doing well in cozy mystery was paranormal cozy mystery, witches, right? They bring women's fiction into it because they target very specific, the authors themselves are usually like 45 and older, so they credibly write about all these midlife problems, you know, kids gone to college, midlife depression, <laughs> And and they have women casts that in a fantasy, in an urban fantasy world, you know, overcome their midlife problems. So that, that's now a long monologue that I give here, but it, it's just to put some flesh to the bone when it comes to reading the market, looking at trends and writing to trends, but without bending yourself. That's the important thing, you know, with what are you good at in your fantasy writing and how can you take it and twisted in a way that you combine your love, passion, and craft with some market aspects that trend more than others. Now, there's no guarantee for success, obviously, but I think the whole publishing business has, where people do it in a professional way, it's very much become around this credo, this mantra of how do you increase the odds of success, at least if you cannot guarantee success. Yeah, and it's so true. Uh, if if one look at, especially with Amazon, I mean, Amazon is probably well, it, it's it's good and bad in the sense that uh, for most authors, at least, uh, Amazon is like ninety percent of the income, uh, and that is good in the sense that if you can make it work on Amazon, there is a good likelihood that you will also earn some money from it. But on the bad side, then yeah, you're completely reliant on on Amazon, which it, it, that's a whole different conversation. And I, I don't like that too much, but let's leave that alone for now. Uh, but I think what this is really about to me is trying to find 
not compromising with what you want to write. I mean, because I, I don't think it works if you start looking at a Kalytics report and say, oh, I can see that this uh, subgenre is working really well uh, and it's trending. So I'm going to write some books in that subgenre. And, uh, but I don't like those kind of books. I don't read those kind of books uh, and I don't really care about it. But I'm just going to write it because apparently that's what readers want. I don't think that works because it will also come across in the story that you don't really like it. And if you don't read it yourself as well, you probably don't even understand the tropes of it. So so, so leave that alone. But I think what I'm trying more to say, and and that's where I find that Kalytics is very useful. For example, when Autumn and I write our books, um, I know what you also said as well, that you know some sort of romance in the books usually works well. And probably half, or if not more than half, I think of the readers of fantasy in general are women. So if you don't put any whatsoever, if everything is just uh, sword fighting and dragons and, and whatnot, well, that can still be a great story. But if you don't put any romance in there, which the data in Kalytics also tells you is something that people like to read, you are missing out some stuff that where you could gain maybe a lot more readers because you have some romance. So Autumn and I always put some romance subplots into our epic fantasy stories. There's always some romance going on in those stories. And it's more like, for me, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I, you know, I don't love the romance subplots as such. It, <laughs> it's not my thing, so to speak, but I don't mind either. So, so the question is more like, why wouldn't we put it in? I mean, Autumn likes it, so so she's naturally bent towards that, and she does those things really well. That's, of course, a benefit I can enjoy, that the fact that I write books together with her, so she can put her touch Take on those over. things. So that's, <laughs> that's great for me. But yep. my point is just to say that you can look at something like Kalytics reports, and you can pick out some pieces where you feel like these are okay for me. You know, I, I don't mind them. I understand them enough that I feel like I can write at least a subplot concerning it and then put that into the books. And hopefully you will see somewhat more success rather than going down your tunnel vision way of, uh, I only write this because this is the only thing I like and everybody that doesn't like that, well, bad luck for them. And okay, fair enough if that's what you want to do. But if you want to earn some money for it as well, maybe you need to think a bit about what readers actually are looking for. Right. And, and, I think you couldn't have put it in into a better way. And you you mentioned a couple of elements there that that may be worth reiterating on. I mean, the one is the love and passion for what you do. Like you say, if you don't love it yourself, if if you don't love Amish romance, and you know, could imagine writing it for the next five years, then don't. No matter how high it's trending, right? And. The, the other elements that you mentioned would be, for me, also craft skill. I think there are certain genres, uh, you, you know, to write good sex scenes that are steamy but not pornographic, that, that is a craft skill, you know. Not every writer is able to do so and yeah. to do so. Credit. I wouldn't know where to begin. <laughs> <laughs> well, you tell me. Yeah. Um, and, and then there's also the thing about knowledge, right? I mean, uh, even if you know, during the hype times of of uh, literature role-playing games, lit RPG and game lit, when uh, Spielberg took the whole thing into the mainstream movie theater, well, you had people, you know, quarreling, quarreling about, well, is the, is, is in that lit RPG novel, is the scoring and the gaming element like really genuine? And 
I'm, I mean, if, if you are not a gamer yourself, you know, the readership, the nerds, the geeks, you know, they, they can smell this from like 50 miles. So don't, don't get into it. So there's this, I always say there's this passion factor, the knowledge, the craft skill factor and the, the knowledge factor, but where all these things come into place, I mean, even Mozart, although he, I think at the end of the career, it, it was not so shining anymore, but you know, even the great artists and composers, a lot of them, they, they worked for money and they composed what the royalty wanted to hear, right? Not just what they had in, in their inspiration, in their inspiration. So it, it was pop music at, at, at the point in time. So if you're in, in, in epic fantasy and let's i don't know whether the word exists but if you're a hardcore epic fantasy writers and you know it's swords and darkness and shadows well you it, it will be good to know that themes like if you have in your title and book description something around darkness uh, around shadows about war battles uh, something around age ages centuries power and magic you know these five strong words, you know, constitute like whatever 60, 70% of the royalties and, and books contain them. But if you say, no, I'm going to write about whatever the, the golden and dungeon and the stone, the chaos and crown, you know, these are all also, you think, very strong, compelling words, but the royalties are much lower. You get the idea. So th there is certain things that at certain point in time seem to resonate with certain reader groups and it's just bringing the arts and science a bit together and say um, no problem I, I have a lot of, amongst my romance writers because they can almost like on the fly as they write the story they can say well my god if, if everybody currently uh, likes mountain man you know <laughs> living in a, in a in a cabin and as opposed to the billionaire or vice versa they can very quickly change characters and uh, and move the book more into a direction that may resonate well even to or they rewrite the whole book and like remarket it where you you had whatever five years of i always say you know back when we were were young and watching black and white movies you had you had um women wanted to be kissed by millionaires, you know, in Marilyn Monroe times. Today, they don't want to be kissed by millionaires. They want to be whipped by a billionaire. So you had this whole Fifty Shades of Grey, pretty <laughs> pretty extreme stuff. And, um, and that was like a never-ending story, but the market was getting very crowded. And all of a sudden, um, you had on Amazon, especially with the advertising restrictions on Amazon on, on a very steamy content, you had a big surge also with the age group probably of the typical Kindle device owner. In any case, clean and wholesome romance was doing extremely well and was still more of a niche type of market. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we reported on over five years of the trend of clean and wholesome romance. And over time, you found so even some steamy authors rewrite their billionaire romance novels, their Fifty Shades of Grey, into more like... Um, yeah, clean and wholesome, clean read, sweet romance, billionaire romance, because it was simply less crowded and in high demand. And and that is what I mean with like reading the market in a way where you don't bend yourself, but you just try to increase the, uh, as you put it also, the, the odds of success. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think 
and that's that's basically where you can you can because it's let me rephrase that because it's really really difficult to do that on your own i mean just try to go to amazon and look through the uh, different uh, categories and try to look at the the top seller list in the different category but it's really really difficult for you to to spot trends on your own because it's it is so much data and it is so complicated that that's where i really see that kalytics can help um just i mean i i mostly view kalytics like it's an input and then you need to unpack it yourself and say okay what of this can i use and is there something where i have some sort of venn diagram overlap between what i like to write and what the market likes to read and then i'll try to merge those two together and make it fit there and i think for me that that's the point of it but before we get into uh, the end of the conversation, I wanted to also give you a chance to explain a bit what, if one buys Kalytics or goes into Kalytics, what is it that you're getting in there? And what are the reports that you're sending out and so on? And, and maybe also a bit about what are the, I think you have some tiers as well, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I was in there, but maybe just a bit of the pricing tiers and so on. If you don't mind, but, no, of course not. I mean, for those who are interested, basically, you know, we we serve authors from the fledgling interested authors to to publishing houses. So we have to provide you know different entry points into into the product. So you can uh, we provide memberships and we provide single reports. Now within the um, within both the the baseline for everything is the data that we collect and that we publish every month in an updated database and what you basically can have is is two, there are basically two big pillars to the product the one is ready-made pdf reports say there there's a 70 page epic fantasy report 70 pages that comes with video that completely dissects the amazon available data on epic fantasy so if you're only interested in like that one genre you can simply go to the kalytics shop at k-lytics.com slash shop purchase the epic fantasy report it will keep you busy for a good week i'd say if you really want to absorb the data uh, look at the video and especially make sense of it of how does it fit with your writing so that that is one entry point so you can choose what we call genre reports a la carte there's two types of them ones are like really going in depth on certain subgenres, such as epic fantasy there are others we have a more general sci-fi and fantasy report that are uh, not as deep in the analysis but they are much broader because they would comparatively look well there's more than 100 sci-fi and fantasy categories and they would do exactly like we discussed before. Well, what is what is trending higher? Is it urban fantasy or is it paranormal? You know, is it so? It it's looks at the category data in in a comparative way. So these are the types of genre reports, and you can buy them a la carte if you are interested in more than one genre then we recommend the memberships because the memberships give you access to basically uh, multiple reports at a time and these are monthly memberships they come in two tiers one is premium one is elite elite is the highest tiers and the difference between the two tiers is also actually very simple the highest tier gives gives you unrestricted access to everything and one thing is all the reports the other thing is though that database now also premium gives you the database but the depth of the data you see premium basically would give you data every month for about 420 
down to subcategory level. But if you want to get into also this really granular and detailed, you know, in which 10 categories shall I put my book sort of thing, then the elite level comes handy because there we track 7,000 categories, you know, from the gardening and horticulture to the lowest level fantasy category that that exists. Mm-hmm. So, um, so especially if you want to also look a bit what's happening across Europe, because some authors are very open-minded, you know, they write, say, uh, urban fantasy, but they really, because they know the genres are more and more blending, they want to know what is going on in romance, what is going on in mystery, so that they keep a bit ahead of, you know, ah, you know, there's a certain thing emerging, could that come over into, like the paranormal women's fiction example I gave earlier, that is sort of the amalgamation of like four genre trends meeting in a certain sweet spot and meeting at a certain target reader group. And uh, that is what we do. So there's entry points from a la carte to memberships. Obviously, we promote the memberships also price-wise because that is uh, what keeps us afloat and gives us the continuity to provide this research, which we've now been doing for six years and hopefully many more years to come. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I definitely uh, like to support what you're doing uh, because I, I do think it's very, very helpful. And it is stuff that authors cannot do on their own. Um, and uh, I definitely also uh, support the, uh, the the fact that membership um, levels is what the keeps the business going. So uh, we know this ourselves with uh, with Patreon, for example. It's also sort of a membership site for this podcast. So it's, it's the same thing. Um, but at least I would t- say to, to the listeners here as well that if if you don't know if, you know, is this data thing sort of me, um, I would definitely recommend just start out maybe buying one of the genre reports for, for fantasy. Uh, I did that as well several years ago now, but... Um, but I did this as well, and it's not expensive at all. I can't remember now, Alexa, but I think it was like twenty it's, bucks, maybe. It's it's thirty seven dollars a report, right? and, and, and yeah. you get probably you know more than seventy pages of of analysis, all aggregated in an understandable way. So it, it's as you said, as a writer, you should. Of course, we know, especially as an indie writer, you have so many other business aspects to run as well. You know, the marketing, the ads, the newsletters. You know, there is already enough business stuff going on to then say on top of it you want to become a market research experts may not be your core competence so <laughs> so we we crunch the data no, on hundreds you. of thousands of books so that you don't have to that that is the very simple essence of it Indeed, yes. So I will put a link to Klytics in the show notes so that uh, if any of you listeners are interested to check it out a bit more, then uh, follow that link. And uh, on the Klytics website, there's a lot more information as well. Uh, Hopefully we touched upon most of it, but but there is explanations about what it is and what you're getting inside the report and and all that stuff. So uh, I urge you to, uh, to at least go check that one out. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much for coming, um, Alex, and uh, speak to us here and uh, share a bit about all this uh, data crunching stuff. <laughs> was a pleasure, and uh, hey, also all the best with your with your podcast. You know, I think it's it's great that we see also so many people in the in the publishing world in, in the self publishing world, for that matter, to collaborate. You know, and and have these forums where people can exchange thought and. Uh, last but least, I'd say, you know, 
uh, of course, there's traditionally published works, there's hybrid publishers, you know, who have, in some areas, they have their rights back, they want to go, go half indie, they are half traditional, and they have the, you know, like, hardcore self-publishers. And um, from what I've seen is, especially in that hybrid and self-publishing part of the journey, I've seen people be so fast in picking up trends and in, in, in co collaborating together uh, that they, in some areas, they reap up whole parts of the market be before the traditional publishers even know it exists as a market. So, and I think it's also thanks to yeah. these podcasts and forums like yours, where these thoughts are exchanged and transported to the community that, that make that happen. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. But uh, okay, thank you so much for uh, for coming here, Alex. And uh, next Monday I will have uh, Autumn back here, and uh, we are gonna do one of our monthly fun episodes where we are going to discuss the top ten worst and scariest fantasy worlds. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on patreon.com slash amwritingfantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday.